Good morning. Thanks, friends. <laughs> if we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Lori. I'm one of the pastors here and formerly in kids ministry, so I like props. Um, but good to see you here today. I'm looking forward to uh, being in the Word with you today. It's always a blessing to gather together. Um, I want to start us out today by just talking a little bit about Sunday traditions, Sunday memories, because, you know, we've all been raised in different kinds of homes and have different kinds of stories. And so um, for some of us here, you may have been raised in a Christian home. And for some of us, you may have uh, maybe found Jesus later in life as an adult. I just had a conversation with a friend last week that that is their story. Um, still others of you, you might be here for the very first time today, just exploring who Jesus is. And so we all have different backgrounds, different stories. And I just want to invite you into mine uh, for a minute. I grew up in a Christian home, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And uh, we did a lot of things on Sundays that looked different than other days of the week. Um, we've had some traditions, and I have some memories around that. Um, one of the things we did every Sunday was we went to church morning and at night. Um, although there was some bribery involved for the evening service because my parents, uh, we lived close with my grandparents. Uh, they were just half a mile away from us or so, and they went to church with us. And my grandparents would always host dinner at their house after church on Sunday nights. And so um, I was not able to go to church or go to supper at Grandma and Grandpa's unless I went to church on Sunday nights. So Miss Lori went to church on Sunday nights a lot because I loved going to my grandma and grandpa's house for dinner and playing around with my cousins. Uh, Another thing that I remember about Sundays is my clothes were just scratchy um, and a little uncomfortable. I remember some uncomfortable patent leather shoes. Um, I grew up having a pool, and um, my family would always have people over at our house, Um, neighbors, friends, family, all of that were always welcome at our house um, during the week. But on Sundays... You're not invited, because that feels like Jesus, right? (laughs) That's no dig on my parents. I love my parents. I love you, Mom. You're probably watching later. Um, But we did the best we could with what we knew at the time, right? And I know some of you have some really kind of different Sunday morning memories as well. And um, I've heard some of your pool stories, too. Some of you were only allowed to go into your knees. It's true. Some of you were um, able to swim quietly, but don't splash. Not allowed to splash on Sundays. I just had a conversation with someone last week, uh, someone that coaches me every month, and he was sharing a story about how he remembers on Sundays. So he had this neighbor who had a pool, and they were always invited over to their house, but he too was not allowed on Sundays unless it was 90 degrees. Because then I guess all Sunday rules are off, I don't know, but then he was able to go to church on Sundays. You know, Pastor Greg, you did say last week, uh, Christians can be weird, right? And so that's just kind of one of those things. Um, you know, we, we take the Bible seriously around here, um, if you're new, and, uh, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. We like to, we like to laugh. And so last month, we actually uh, launched into a 39-week series of being in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And so what I want to do is just kind of uh, talk to you today about a certain practice. And so what we're going to be doing this series, maybe you were with us the last series last year, we were in Matthew 
for the whole year. And what we did is we broke that into mini-series. And that's what we're doing for the book of Genesis 2. We're breaking it into mini-series. And today, we are, we are in between series. And what we're calling those, it's very intentional, what we're calling those is in practice. Because we want to put into practice what we've been teaching in that past series. So we are just through series one, and I want to mention that if you're reading along with us with the um, Harbor Church's Genesis devotional, on your way in, you received, hopefully, a handout that says, in practice. We're calling it week 4.5 for a reason. We're actually going to be putting this in our devotional. This is your reading. If you're following along in the devotional, this gives you a week to kind of catch up if you're a little behind, which Dennis and I are. Um, And it also gives you a chance to reflect on what we're going to be learning uh, today. You can slip that right in at about page 50, because we'll be starting series, the next series next week um, after that on series two. If you're not following along in the devotional, that's totally okay. I still would love to see you go home with one of those handouts and just dive deeper. We don't want to leave what we learn here. We want to continue to grow. And so that's what that is there for, to resource you. Um, What we're going to do today, though, is we are going to uh, dive into the book of Genesis. And um, Pastor Jeremy taught us a couple weeks ago that God created the world in meaningful order, right? It was not made out of conflict or uh, violence between other gods like other creation narratives tell. God is a God of, of order and good and beauty, And he created the world out of those things intentionally. And so we're actually going to, we're eventually going to make it to the book of Mark today, but we're first going to start in the book of Genesis. And I want you to listen closely to a rhythm, a pattern, this repeated statement that we find in the first, uh, first chapter, the first book of the Bible. And we've been reading it. And so what I want you to do is we're actually going to do this a little different today. I'm not going to have it on the screens. And for some of us, it could be somewhat familiar, either because you grew up with it or maybe because you've been throughout this series with us so far. So I want to change up our posture a little bit. Not only are we not going to have the words on the screen, but I want to invite us to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word this morning. So go ahead and stand and be listening for this repeated statement. And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not, and God saw that it was good. That's in there, but that's not the one we're looking for. All right, friends, hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Then God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate the water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening And there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw 
that it was good. I forgot to mention I'm going to be skipping a few verses, just so you're not standing too long, that just describe the day that we're in. So I'm not reading all these. I'm going to skip a few here and there. Um, And there was evening and there was morning on the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky to separate the day from night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vaults of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser night to the lesser light to govern the night. And he also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sky and every living thing with which the water teems and and moves about in it according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and in his image he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done the Lord's word. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. So did you notice the repeated phrase? Each day is wrapped up, I think, in this nice bow of, and there was evening and there was morning, right? There was evening and there was morning on day one. There was evening and there was morning on day two. We see that statement repeated All six days. But on the seventh day, we don't see that. We don't read that. Why is that? Editor error? I don't think so. Is God still ruling? Of course he is. So so what's going on here? Um, I really appreciate a thought that Tim Mackey had on this missing phrase. And I want to share it with you. He says... Uh, The seventh day has no ending. We're in it. Let that sink in for a minute. 
I heard that the first time a few weeks ago and went, whoa, that is, that's a really cool concept. The seventh day has no ending. We're in it. And he continues and says, that's the theological claim in Genesis 1. This is what the ancient Israelites remembered every seventh day, that we can rest in the fact that God is in control of the world. I think it's a brilliant way to think about that. And it immediately makes me think of the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians. He says this, For in him, meaning God, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. Jesus cares for and oversees everything in the kingdom. He, he not only creates, but he sustains what he creates. In all things, he holds all things together. That is something that we can rest in, isn't it? Goodness, absolutely. So we see this rhythm of darkness and light. There was evening and there was morning. And this helped shape the Jewish understanding of time. Evening was the beginning of their day at sundown. And out of that, out of that time of rest came a time of work, came morning, the second part of their day. And so we see Jesus living out this rhythm of rest and work, evening and morning, um, throughout the Gospels. We see that in his daily walk, and we see that in his weekly rhythms. And, and today we're going to hone in on that seventh day, that weekly rhythm of Sabbath. Uh, the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat. Shabbat means rest. It's to embrace So to embrace rest is to embrace the Sabbath, which is, might anyway, seem impossible to you or really boring for others of you when you think of the word rest, unless you really understand what the word rest means. I decided to Google it this week. Rest is described as this. It means to cease work, to cease work in order to relax Refresh oneself and recover strength. Uh, to rest is to cease work, to stop. And let's just name that work looks different for all of us, right? Uh, when I think about work, um, work for me might be uh, going into the garage and cleaning and doing something to a car. That's not work to my husband. He rather enjoys it most of the time, <laughs> right? Um, So we have to be honest. If we're going to really take Sabbath seriously and what it means to stop work, we first have to really be honest with ourselves and, and really identify what is work to us. Not just our paid jobs, but our unpaid jobs. We all have a lot of different responsibilities. And so what does that look like for us? And to be able to identify that, understanding the heart behind Sabbath, God's heart behind Sabbath is that it's a time of refreshment, Think about the very word uh, create. I think it's kind of cool to think about creation, that in creation, God created rest. And in rest, we are recreated. The very word 
recreation, recreate, comes out of that. The word recreation is this. It's an activity done for enjoyment when one is what? Not working. Everybody say that with me. Not working. Yeah. You guys, I think this has enormous significance, and here's why. We are invited to partner with God, to participate with him, right? Uh, Jesus said this. He said that my father is always working, and I, too, am working. He's partnering with God, joining God. So not only... Do we participate with God in our work, but we participate in the very nature of God when we rest? That's a beautiful thought, isn't it? But it is much easier said than done in this busy world. I don't have to sit and tell you how busy our culture is and how connected we are and how great technology is and at the same time how it ties us up and distracts us. Um, I just read this past week that um, the, the attention span of human beings has gone from like 12 seconds in 2012 to 8 seconds. And I thought, okay, I mean, give me some perspective here. Maybe that's not that bad. Until I read what has the attention span of 9 seconds. Goldfish. A goldfish, you guys. We need some help. Goldfish has the attention span of nine seconds. So let's just say this. The point is the world's hopping. The world is really hopping, and it's always vying for our attention. And so practicing Sabbath um, may feel impossible to you. Actually, it may even feel like a privilege uh, that you don't have access to. That's the reality. Maybe you are in your 60s and you're still working full time and you're caring for your elderly parents and you're feeling like, I can't stop working. Maybe uh, you're a student and you're taking a full credit course load and you're working two jobs just to help pay for tuition and books and all the things and you feel like, I can't stop working. Maybe you're a single parent, and anytime your kids go to the other parent's house, you're just picking up an extra shift at the hospital to help make ends meet, and you feel like you can't stop working. I hear you, and I feel you. And I want you to know that each one of these scenarios that I just mentioned have a face and a name. I know them. I know each one of them in those buckets, and I love them, and I know God loves them even more. And they would all say to you, if they were here today, I am not living the best version of myself because they're just running on fumes. They're running on empty. There's a book. um, You know, before I move there, I want to just mention one thing when it comes to Sabbath. If it feels impossible to you, maybe a 24-hour Sabbath um, maybe isn't, doesn't feel attainable, but maybe, um, maybe eight hours. Experiment with that. Maybe it's two hours. 
where you can find some rest. Uh, but there's a book that I wanted to mention. It's by John Mark Comer. Highly recommend the book. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in this book, um, he asked the question, uh, John Ortberg actually asked the question of Dallas Willard. Now, if you're not familiar with those two men, they're pretty prominent um, pastors, speakers, authors, leaders in our world. And John Ortberg had a conversation with Dallas, and the whole book stems from this. Um, He asked Dallas, he is busy, right? And he's like, how can I be spiritually healthy? And he had a clipboard, and he was just ready to take some notes from Dallas. Dallas was very wise. And Dallas kind of stepped back, sipping his coffee, and said, friend, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. From your life. And John was like, oh, that's good. He's making notes. He's writing it down. And he's like, all right, what else? And Dallas said, there is nothing else. Here's what Sabbath isn't, friends. Sabbath isn't about guilt. This is not to feel guilty or, or even ashamed if you are not practicing it. Um, Sabbath isn't just naps. Although I'm a fan of naps. Maybe some of you are too. (laughs) Sabbath isn't a luxury. It isn't a privilege just for the elite. God invites all of us into it. It isn't failure. You're not failing if you stop working a day, even if all of your peers continue. And Sabbath isn't meant to be legalistic. It's not meant to be loaded with so many rules that we can't possibly let our guard down and enjoy ourselves. As a matter of fact, I want to take you to the book of Mark now because Jesus had his fair share of legalism in his day. And I want you to check out what Jesus encounters here on the Sabbath one day. Mark 2, if you'd like to follow along, starting at 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? First, let's just be clear uh, that Jesus was not stealing grain. All right, farmers in that day were to leave the edges of their field unharvested so that the poor and travelers could come by and get food. Farmers, on the other hand, it was unlawful for them to harvest on the Sabbath. Jesus and his disciples were not stealing, nor were they harvesting food. They were simply traveling by and getting something to eat. And, and here's what, how Jesus answered. He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? I read read this uh, last week and just kind of started laughing. Have you never read? Of course they have read. Jesus knew that. The, the, The Pharisees knew the law like the back of their hands. As a matter of fact, when they had disagreements, and they did sometimes amongst themselves, they would use scripture and they would cite scripture to to support their position. And so Jesus brilliantly does just that. Uh, he he says 
here in starting in 26, in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. You see, every Shabbat, 12 loaves of bread were baked fresh and brought in and set on a table in the holy place, in the tabernacle, and and later in the temple. And it was lawful only for the priests to consume this bread. And so if you want to read the whole story of what Jesus is referring to, you can go to 1 Samuel verse 21. But what he's bringing up and reminding the Pharisees is that David and his men were hungry, and the priest gave them the consecrated bread because it was the right thing to do. In verse 27, he says, Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Jewish tradition, with all of its restrictions around the Sabbath, had made the Sabbath incredibly burdensome. There was so many rules that they lost the rules' intent to to rest. It was intended, as Jesus said here, he emphasizes it here, this is a God-given intent of Sabbath. It was made for man. It was a day made for human beings, for you, for me, to experience recreation, refreshment, spiritual, mental, and physical rest. I want to give you a good visual I think is helpful as we talk about this rhythm that we see in Scripture from the very beginning, the very beginning of time. There's this narrative all throughout Scripture of rest and work. Uh, First, I want to start with John 15, verse 5. It's where Jesus says these words, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And so I want to just encourage you to be thinking about this and kind of picture a pendulum swinging back and forth in rhythm. And then from there, on this side of the pendulum is abiding and rest. And on this side of the pendulum, fruitfulness and work. Imagine this going back and forth. We see that rhythm in creation. There was evening and there was morning. There was evening and there was morning. As a matter of fact, let's just write that on. If we were to put this in this scenario, evening and there was morning. Jesus goes on to say in chapter 15 of John that his father, he says, my father is the gardener. And he cuts off branches that are not bearing fruit. And he prunes the ones that do so that they bear even more fruit. And so there's a pruning that happens. And then on this side, we experience that out of abiding in Christ and out of rest comes growth. My experience with this rhythm has been um, an ongoing battle, really, of not having that pendulum flying all over the place or, or staying on one side and hovering there. 
Um, as a matter of fact, about seven years ago, uh, I found myself in a place of, of being on vacation, actually. We were at a beautiful resort, first day um, at the beach, and I found myself lounging in a chair, looking at the gorgeous water, turquoise ripples, and a comfortable drink, and my favorite person sitting alongside me, and I found myself stopped for the very first time in a long time. And tears were rolling down my cheeks. And I could not figure out why. I wasn't crying. I know that might sound really weird, but I wasn't. It was just, water was just leaking out of my eyeballs. And it was in that moment that I realized I had finally stopped long enough to feel how far I had been revving up. I didn't have a healthy rhythm, and I didn't even notice it. Sure, I felt it. I was probably ignoring some symptoms. But I didn't know it until I had stopped completely, till I had ceased. So what had happened to me, instead of having this natural rhythm of working out of my rest, what happened to me was I crashed into rest. Our bodies keep score. And that's exactly what I did. I crashed into rest. Friends, crashing into your lazy boy or me crashing into my beach chair is not Sabbath. It's not rest. It's not what God is calling us to. And praise God, he met me there. I recovered. I I, um, felt his grace and his love and my husband's as well. And I, I left that beach and that vacation wanting to never feel that way again. And so I put some rhythms in place, some better daily rhythms. Um, For me, it's, it's getting up in the morning with my coffee and having some time in the Word and in prayer. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's the afternoon. Maybe it's the evening. Um, But for me, that daily rhythm, I needed to get better at. Knowing that out of that abiding and remaining in Christ, I would bear the kind of fruit that he's wired me and and gifted me to bear. Then I realized, like, wow, we we have our annual rhythms figured out pretty well. And that's probably true for a lot of us here. Our, Our daily rhythms, our annual rhythms maybe are in check. But for us, um, and the reason this message is so personal to me today is because we realized lately that we need to get better at this every seven-day rhythm of rest and work. And so Dennis and I have actually been experimenting with what that looks like in our life. What does it look like to really be honest with ourselves, identify what work is, and resist that? And uh, we haven't done it perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, but I want to share with you um, a few discoveries, some things that we're learning as we practice this uh, rhythm on a weekly basis. Uh, one of the things that we're discovering is, for us, it's Friday night. It's Friday night to Saturday night. That, that's a good time for us. I don't know what it is for you, but we've identified as we experiment, this seems to be the right time for us. Another thing that we discovered is it's really hard to unplug. This is in quotes because as I was journaling, how uh, how I was learning and discovering things, I was like, I should ask Denny because we've been doing this together. And, and that's the first thing he said. 
And he is so right. We have caught each other a few times on the phones, uh, on our devices, and gone, oh, wow, yep, that happened again. I didn't, I wasn't resisting that. And we're just having a good time with it. Not being lawful necessarily, just showing grace, but that's something we're learning. It's hard to unplug. Um, another thing we're learning is that it takes intentional preparation, much like the Jews prepared their meal before Sabbath, much like the Israelites took uh, two days' worth of manna so that they didn't have to work on the Sabbath. We are learning to set some notifications on our devices so we can unplug without feeling the pressure of responding to people. We don't have to worry about them thinking we're ignoring them, right? Um, We are prepping in a way where we're being more intentional on weeknights to do things that we maybe would have done on the weekend that we're going to just try not to do then. Most importantly, I think what we're learning is, uh, oh, one more, life goes on. This is another one of Denny's quotes. (laughs) He said that's the second thing he's learning is life goes on, and that is true. We have, um, at the end of our week, have yet to have a week, and we've been practicing this a month now really intentionally, we've yet to have a week where we've been like, all right, we've got our week wrapped up, you know, everything's checked off the list, let's go rest, let's go have fun, right? We've yet to feel that way. And yet, when we have ceased work and resisted that, we have found life goes on. It's okay. The last thing that we're learning is that it takes trust. This is the biggie for us. This is where we are really experiencing growth. Because it takes a lot of trust. When you haven't crossed everything off the list, you haven't maybe planned things out as well as I would like to for next week, I would probably work on this project on Saturday, but now I'm not. It takes a lot of trust to say, God, I trust you. You're faithful. I know that if I stop working and I I resist this for a day, you're faithful. And you're going to give me everything I need as I step into the new work week to be fruitful for your glory. We're learning to trust him in that and actually trust that he does, in fact, hold all things together and we can rest in him. And so uh, while we haven't done it perfectly, like I said, um, we have had a lot of fun. We have found ourselves um, having breakfast in bed one Saturday morning. And um, we watched a movie one day in bed on a Saturday morning. Um, We like our bed. What can I say? Um, We we called our grandkids and took them on a nature hike with us and had a ton of fun with that. What we're realizing is that when we are intentionally ceasing work, and resisting work, we're actually different. We actually have a different kind of presence and attention span with each other. Even though things don't go perfectly, we've even fought on the Sabbath one time. Like, well, great. (laughs) It happens, right? But the point is, we're different. God's doing something in us and how we are being more available and attentive to each other and those around us when we practice this. The best gift we can give each other is our undivided attention, right? Uh, Let me tell you why this means so much to me. Um, Long, long before, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Long before that fourth commandment came. Rest, 
Sabbath was woven into the very fabric of creation as a gift, a gift for us. And I really believe that God desires us to receive this gift. He longs for us to abide in him and rest in him and remain in him. I don't want to sound overly dramatic here, but some of you could be in a place right now that I was seven years ago. And this could mean saving your life or your family. Because when we rest and when we abide in Christ, out of that can come a fruitfulness and and the work that God's called us to. Uh, A messenger of God, the prophet Isaiah, said these words. He said, it's in returning to me, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. I'm not going to speak for you, I will just speak for me, but I know for me personally, um, when I am stressed, when I'm overworked, I am not a great reflection of Jesus. I'm not a very patient, kind, or loving person. When I'm overly tired and feeling burned out, I'm not a really great reflection of Jesus then either. I'm not a very patient or kind or loving person. When I'm hungry, watch out. I'm hangry. I'm not a great reflection of Jesus there either. I'm not a very patient, kind, or loving person. Friends, these rhythms ground us. And what's at stake is our well-being the well-being of ourselves, our families, and our other relationships, and our witness of who Jesus is. Because when we're rested and we're rooted in him, we are a better reflection of him. And that is what we in this world need so desperately. The creator of the universe stopped to rest. Maybe we can too. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we thank you for this gift that you call us, that you invite us to receive this gift of rest and Sabbath. Jesus, it's your words that say that you want to give us abundant life, life to the full. And so, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to live into these rhythms, rhythms that you modeled so well for us. We recall the times in Scripture that you went away and practiced silence and solitude, abiding with the Father the rhythm of Sabbath that was communal, that you did with your disciples and and with your closest friends. 
Jesus, you said you are the vine and we are the branches. And if we remain in you, we will bear much fruit. And you go on to say that we will bear much fruit. And it is for our Father's glory that we would bear much fruit and be your disciples. So God, help us do that. Lose Lose all the the legalism and the rules and just be honest with ourselves and where you're calling us to come rest. Your words, Jesus, for someone here today might be, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, because you give us rest. And we give you the glory, God, for the ways that you will grow us And out of that, the fruit that will come, not only just the fruit from our gifts that you've created us and wired us to do, but the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, the love, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that we and the world around us need so desperately. We trust you. We love you because you are good. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.